Hey y'all, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Untamed Adventures of the Blind Donkey Runner podcast. Today on the show, I have Sean Coleman from a lot of places. Um, Sean is a writer with Talking Chop. He is a writer with Grizzly Bear Blues. He is now the main person on the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. And honestly, guys, if you're not checking out Sean's work, you're missing out. Sean is an incredible interview person, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did talking to Sean and recording it. How's it going, Sean? All right, Mr. McKay, how are you, sir? Can you hear me? I can hear you pretty well. How can you hear All me? right, I'm sorry about that, man. I, uh, my uh, regular day job had uh, just have had a, a pretty, pretty just in-depth situation occur that I was trying to get resolved, and I'm sorry about the mix-up on times and all that, but pleasure to join you. Thank you so much for asking me to uh, to join, and I will tell you this, genuinely appreciate all the support that you've shown me over the past few months. I, I genuinely appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and those instances are, are understandable. I can. Uh, I just had a brain lapse because I was I was just completely forgot that you guys were in the uh, central time zone. Uh, no. So welcome to uh Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. I was just going to say I keep thinking that you're in Murray, and when I look at your profile, I then remember that you're in Georgia. So that's where I get the confusion. So that's that's as much my fault or as anyone. So so no no worries. Nobody's fault. Believe me, I wish I was in Murray. I, I'd give <laughs> vacation up there. Um, gotcha. So what, welcome to another episode of the uh, Untamed Adventures of the Blind Donkey Runner podcast. I know that's a tongue twister, and I say that every week, but uh, I'll explain that uh, in a little bit. But the reason I wanted to have you on here is because we have a, a, quite a few things in common, and one couple of things that uh, are not so in common, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, first of all, I was going to get you to get a description of who you are and what uh, what have you been up to. All right. Well, so you so are we recording right now, or are you more telling me what we're doing? I'm just making sure uh, I'm understanding. I'm recording right now. Sorry, I should have. You're, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, but my name is, uh, I am, uh, I live north of Memphis, Tennessee. I was born and raised uh, in Martin, Tennessee. And, you know, um, me and John are actually rivals because he is a big Murray State Racer fan. I'm a big UT Martin Skyhawk fan um, oh, yeah. because that's where I was born and raised. And I am, that's my alma mater. Um, but in time, um, I uh, have moved to East Tennessee and then I moved back to West Tennessee. And, uh, you know, over the past few years, I've been fortunate enough to take on some opportunities to where I cover the Grizzlies, also cover the Braves. Um, and, and the connection point between me and John also is that, of course, the Grizzlies have drafted uh, John Morant. So John has, you know, multiple uh, connections through cheering for the Racers and cheering for the Grizzlies. And, of course, Javi and an OVC guy, I absolutely love the Grizzlies as well. So that's kind of a connection point between me and uh, Mr. McKay. Yeah, it's Martin's pretty big, pretty big rival, but uh, I, I'll have to admit I pull for the Lady Martin Skyhawks on occasion because they have a Murray Tiger on their team. Yeah, Maddie Waldrop, and I like yeah. to see her well. 
Um, uh, their, their coach, um, uh, Kevin McMillan, used to be the co- – I believe he's still there. He may not be. It, 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 yeah, he, he is. The, he's had unprecedented success there. Um, you know, he was the basketball coach at Westview High School in Martin when I went there. Uh, but, of course, when it comes to women's basketball, you know, Martin has one connection that nobody else has that we're very, very proud of. Um, and that is that we are the alma mater of, you know, a giant women's basketball pathead summit. God rest, rest her soul. So, I wish I had known that. I, yeah. I did not know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I pull for Martin when they're not playing the racers. They have Chelsea Perry. I mean that 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 duo of her and Waldrop right there is pretty good. Pretty good dominance. Um, but you mentioned the Braves, and I, I guess we should start off with the Braves. Clint, they as we are recording. Um, we were recording on Thursday after – or Wednesday, sorry, after the Braves clinched the Eastern Division. So what are your opinions on how this season, this all-but-shortened season went for the Braves? Um, <laughs> it went about as – it went far worse than anybody expected and then in the end actually went far better uh, than anybody expected. Um, just to, you know, make it short and sweet, nobody could have predicted – um, that all the injuries that have occurred to us, you know, I use the phrase injuries and ineffectiveness a mm-hmm. lot, and I've never used that phrase more than writing about the Braves. I write for them over at Talking Chop, which is a, a great blog, a wonderful team. You know, if you're a Braves fan listening, you you should definitely check it out if you don't already. I mean, I know John um, is, a, is an avid follower of, of a lot of different um, podcasts in the area and things like that. And that's the thing about being a Braves fan now. There are just so many wonderful outlets for you to get news from. But I I do my writing over at Talking Chomp. But I use that phrase a lot this year because, you know, Mike Soroka, uh, Mike Fultonewich, Sean Newcomb, you know, just a ton of pitchers have unfortunately kind of fallen by the wayside. Mm-hmm. But, when that was, but when that was going on, our offense was still kind of getting in its groove. You know, we the big thing about the offseason was the hope of signing – Josh Donaldson. Well, within a 48-hour period in January, Donaldson signed with the Twins, and then Marcelo Ozuna, you know, was signed by the Braves. And, you know, Ozuna had been rumored to potentially be a target of ours, signed for one year. But Braves fans were not happy, and I don't blame them. You know, Donaldson was a wonderful revelation last year. Well, we also had talked about the Braves in that the reason why they may not have made that one big move yet with their with a trade to get a big time, kind of like you saw with the Dodgers making the move for Mookie Betts this offseason as well. Reason why they hadn't done that is because the Braves wanted to trust the talent that they already had, especially Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley. So this year, the starting pitching obviously has not performed where we wanted it. And it's likely that it's it's going to crop up again now that we're in the playoffs. But I'm telling you this, it's a stark contrast between last year and this year in terms of where our offense is. This time last year, I just tweeted about it. Freddie Freeman was injured. Ronald Acuna was injured. This year, mm-hmm. Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna, and Marcelo Zuna are three of the top five hitters in the National League. Freddie Freeman's elbow issue, gone. It's unleashed a new version of him that we have never seen before and likely P version. But the big, big thing about the Braves, John, for me is their bullpen. I put the instance that really changed the course of the season for us in the seventh inning of that game one versus the Cardinals, seventh or eighth inning, when Chris Martin unexpectedly had to leave the mound due to getting injured. He doesn't right. get injured. We get through that inning 
we win game one, I think we're facing the Nationals in the NLCS. Well, this year... I, I agree. This year, if he's healthy, Will Smith can figure his stuff out, A.J. Minter can stay on track, and then Shane Green and Melanson can be successful. I'm telling you, we can shorten the games with our starters, and I think that we could turn some heads in the playoffs. I really do think this year could be special. I know that's said every year, but I do think this year it could be different. I, I'm really impressed with how they have overcome all the injuries and issues with pitching because they have – the bats have come alive. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't – I was nervous about Marcelo Zuna because of his struggles with the Cardinals. I mean – yeah defensively he had struggled and I was thinking at the point I was thinking we're not going to have the DH so why are we getting a defensive struggle when we have the outfield talent that we do then perfectly the DH come along and that that just fits Atlanta perfectly agree completely and the other thing about it is is that Ozuna is a very streaky hitter and with the Cardinals he was more streaky than he did coming off his 2017 season in which he arguably was a top 10 MVP candidate. But the thing about Ozuna is this, he knew that this year was his chance to cash in. Coming off his two years, I mean he he was famous for about 3 to 4 years ago. He was the guy the Marlins wanted to keep around. A lot's been talked about over the past half decade half decade about all the talent that the Marlins have traded away. Ozuna was actually the person that they wanted to stick around. They signed um, uh, Yelich to a five-year, $55 million extension uh, that I believe was coming up due at the end of next year. Well, they approached Ozuna as well. He said he wanted to go year to year to max out his earnings. Well, when he right. had when he had his inconsistent two years in St. Louis, I think he realized, hey, this ain't the way to go. I need to get back on track. So he's made the most of it. And even though it's uncertain times, I think he's made himself a lot of money. Just hopefully he hasn't made enough to outprice himself out of the Braves' pocketbook. That's that's to be seen, though. Very true. I I also, you know, we always talk. We're talking about Ozuna. Look at what Duvall and Freddie Freeman have done. They are right there in the top of the categories as well, right along with Ozuna. They are, and and you know, with with Freddie again, you know, Freddie. I, I've said it before, you know, a few different times. Um, you know, via writing or on Twitter or whatever it may be. I truly do feel that the best way for you to appreciate what Freddie Freeman is doing, go compare his career to um, Hall of Fame first baseman Eddie Murray. You know, Braves fans don't need that appreciation. The rest of baseball does. And the thing about it is this, is that this isn't a surprise. This type of season is not a surprise at all. You want to talk about what Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich were doing in 2019? Go look back at what Freddie did over the first six weeks or so of the 2017 season before that unfortunate curveball from Aaron Loop broke his wrist. Go mm-hmm. compare his numbers over that time frame to how Yelich and Bellinger started the year off. It was the same difference. Now, most people remember Matt Adams' eruption in replacement of Freeman, but Freeman legitimately was on an MVP-type campaign in 2017, and he, he had his best counting stats number last year, once his wrist got fully healed, and this year, obviously, it's just off the charts in terms of quality and quantity. Um, it's just this just goes to show how generational and legendary of a talent Freddie Freeman is. Is that even past the age of thirty, now that he's fully healthy, he is absolutely one of, and this year, the best hitter in the National League, at least. You know, and he's kind of like he never gets the att- he doesn't get the attention that. I mean, I believe he deserves because he's not one of the flashy, not one of the 
fame grabbing players. I mean, he's like Mike Trout. Mike Trout plays in Anaheim, and he doesn't get the attention he deserves as well. I mean, that's that's a thing that brings the attention away from Freddie. But he deserves a lot more. Like I said, he he deserves a lot more attention than he deserve he gets. He does. And, but the other thing I will say is this, is that that's in terms of, you know, general fans, casual fans of major league baseball. I can tell you this, if you read player interviews, if if you listen to podcasts, which I know you love to do, John. And uh, if you, if you just read articles and you know, you, you pay attention on Twitter um, to, 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 there's a lot of different outlets where the players will talk about Freddie and Freddie seems to be one of the most highly regarded players in baseball. Even, you know, there there was a famous thing last year from another popular Twitter, Twitter handle uh, that, that, that both you and I follow in which there was a little interaction between him and his Drupal Cabrera of the Nationals just having fun. Freddie loves to have fun. He's genuine. He puts an interest towards getting to know his peers in the game, and it's reciprocated. I believe that Freddie is one of the most beloved players in the majors beyond his talent. It's his personality, but I'm just so happy to see that finally, and I hope it results in an MVP, it sh- should but I'm so yeah. happy that he's finally going to get the love that he deserves from all of baseball for truly being one of the best of our generation. I know Bryce Harper was bragging on him this year, saying he doesn't get the attention he deserves. Um, I saw that earlier, and that really impressed me. Um, Adam Duvall has really come out, of, like, impressed me with this year. I mean, he could have opted out and no one would have thought nothing about it because of his type one diabetes. And he has just exploded this year. He has. Um, and, and the thing about it is this, this isn't unprecedented. I mean, you know, when Adam Duvall, um, I believe that his rookie year was 2016. Um, it was either 2015 or 2016, but of course he came on late. I um, in his late twenties and had two back-to-back 30, um, you know, home run seasons, one underrated part of his game, playing a corner outfield spot, especially left field in Cincinnati, was something that was there. Now, Duvall was never really thought of as that good of, a, of, a, of an overall hitter. He was a slugger, but as an overall hitter, you know, due to the fact that he did it with low average, he provided, you know, numbers. But a lot of people thought that he was just a decent defender who was who provided, you know, yeah, his power numbers were decent, but as a hitter, he, he was not that valuable. Well, whatever occurred, the Braves, when um, – uh, Alex Anthopoulos made the trade for Duval at the 2018 trade deadline. And he traded Weisler and Lucas Sims um, uh, to there and Preston Tucker to the Reds. Adam mm-hmm. Duval struggled. It did not work out. He was brought in to be the platoon guy with Ender and CRT, and it just didn't work out. Right. In the offseason of 18 to 19, and then especially last year at Gwinnett, Adam Duval, Kevin Seitzer worked with him. And he un- whatever he did, he unleashed it. Duvall just seems to have better plate recognition. He still strikes out. He still has you know a generally low average. He's never going to be a 300 hitter. But in terms of embracing the nuances of today's game, launch angle, how to put power behind the ball, how to get it in the air, those type of things changed, I believe, in Duvall's hitting profile. And that's really what allowed for him to become the hitter that he is. Now, the thing is this. I don't think Adam Duvall going forward is going to be this good of a hitter. I I, I don't know if some of his rates are sustainable. But it does mm-hmm. go to show that even though Alex Anthopoulos may not get the clear home run move that everybody has been harping for, including me, his moves have continued to pay off. And it's not just with Duvall and inquiring him. It's about who you get, but also who you keep. 
but seeing him and 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 uh, Austin Riley and Dansby Swanson start to get consistency and start to start to show their true talent, it's amazing. But yes, I think Duvall may be the best storyline for the Braves this season. Um, I had to brag for a little bit. Um, you mentioned Dansby Swanson. Uh, a couple that I go to church with, um, their son played travel ball with him. I, huh. so, kind of had to brag on that a little bit. <laughs> They're I, a huge Dansby. As we all are. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, you mentioned moves that uh, Anthopolis has made. Two moves that are eh, kind of sketchy to me are Malone, bringing Malone in and bringing uh, Erlen in this year. They thought they were good at first, and then they they just they they didn't work. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. And and the thing that I'll say is this: is that you know I think it has more to do with finances than you know um, uh, Anthopolis is going to um, you know put into words. Actions speak louder, and we know that the Braves, you know, there's been some financial information that's been thrown out there. Uh, we know already that, you know, sources for the Braves for revenue may not be on the level of other teams. We've also seen that the Braves have, you know, had mass, um, you know, um, I guess furlough is the right word, but they, they've let a lot of people go, you know, just mm-hmm. as a response to what's going on. So I think that that had something to do with it. But I also think just in general what had to do with it was that there's a lot outside of the control of a lot of teams this year. That's just naturally what's happening with this unprecedented time in the pandemic. I think that Alex Anthopoulos made the moves that he made, but he trusted himself to let the moves that he made take the Braves where they need to go this year before we knew what was going on instead of reacting by trying to trade some of his prospects just to give us a chance for this year. I think that's basically what it comes down to. And you can't really blame Anthopolis. In a, no, I agree. Yeah, in a year where less is within his control, it doesn't really make sense to go all for it and take away from your future to try to make the present as much as possible. I think that's what it comes down to. And so because of that, it's been more tinkering than it has been the major put-you-over-the-top type who's with the Erlins and the Malones and, you know, starting Tomlin and, you know, going to get Ulysses Chassin and all that different stuff. But the thing about it is this. Those moves, while they have not worked out, they gave the Braves time to work with their young pitchers like Bryce Wilson, like Yanoa, like Kyle Wright. They gave them chances earlier this year, Tukey as well. They gave them chances earlier. The initial results were not well. So they then worked with them some more based off what they saw. And you've seen over the past 10 days besides Tukey with Yanoa, Wright, and Wilson, you now have these players who were showing, you know, they've had their best starts and you're seeing mm-hmm. their true talent. And so overall, it it's working out. I'm not saying you rely on them in the playoffs, but the Erlins and Malones, they didn't work out. But because they did take starts, it allowed the Braves to adjust. And I think that that did contribute to hopefully Wilson and Wright and others taking a step forward for this year and beyond. I can, I see your point on that one. I, I, I agree. Um, now, in your opinion, what what are the pros and cons of bringing up Kyle Muller and Tucker Davidson versus going out and getting Malone and Erlen? The benefits of keeping our prospects at the alternate site – 
and, you know, not doing the whole service time thing and not exposing them to this atmosphere and all that different stuff. The benefit of doing that is how much of a difference would they truly have made? That's, that's, that's the point that I'm trying to figure out is that you're, we know that the Braves are working with Davidson and, and Muller and others at the alternate site and in the minor leagues. We know that there have been encouraging results. So why change that just to maybe get one or two extra wins? Right now we're in second place in the National in the National League rankings. We're not going to catch the Dodgers. That, that was going to be understood. Right. And we, and we knew that our offense was eventually going to likely get itself more consistent. So the reason why that the pros of keeping obviously the cons are is that you don't get your young kids experience. You you you're giving starts to players that are are are, are you know are not good instead of seeing what you got with your youngsters and maybe giving them experience that's needed. You're giving opportunities to known products that you know are not good. But the thing about it is, in the general scheme of things you're right where you were expected to be. You have the second best record in the National League. You've won you're in the second best position come the postseason. You've won the East. Your offensive bullpen are arguably the best in their respective categories in the majors. And right. you haven't had to you haven't had to spoil any service time of your rookies. So that's the reason why I think at the end, just the general scheme of how much difference would it have made. And the Braves just decided the best thing to do was just to keep Davidson and Tucker or Mueller down um at the alternate site because they were you know showing improvement there um let's see so what do you think of anderson i've i've been really impressed with ian anderson ian anderson there is a composure and there is a mental aspect to anderson that i've not seen with the younger players um like wilson and wright and tukey and others Anderson seems to have an understanding of how to attack the hitters, the mental approach of how to use his arsenal to the attack the hitters, knowing when to where to use what pitch, knowing where to locate it, things such as that. And that part of things does two things. Number one, it allows for you to move on if something doesn't work out because you've got confidence that you're going to eventually figure it out and make it work. We saw that against the Mets the other day when he walked the first three batters of the game. But it also allows for you to be consistent because instead of you, you know, trusting your stuff is fine. But part of trusting your stuff is trusting yourself to know where to use your stuff. I don't think I don't think Wright and Wilson and others had that at the age that Anderson does. I think he does have that and why that separated him and why I do think he can be trusted in a game two situation because he's done so well um, in his initial uh, cup of coffee in the majors. Now, uh, you mentioned Tukey earlier. I. I know he struggled, but I want to see him succeed a little bit more because of his story, of his childhood and his upbringing. Um, have you heard his story? I have. I've, 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 I've read it. I don't know all the details of it, but I have read the story. See, that 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 kind of stuff right there, just it pulls at my heartstrings. It does. Yeah. It does. Um, I think that at this point with Tukey, you do the thing, you do the one thing that I think is a fair critique of Alex Anthopoulos is that kind of with our arms so far, we either didn't use them when we needed to as trade bait. We jostled them up and down between the majors and the minors too much, or we didn't focus on the things that would have developed more. And so it's kind of been an all or nothing approach. If the arms didn't work out, you know, kind of like um, uh, Gohara and others, if the arms didn't work out, 
um, you know, that we didn't get any benefit. I think mm-hmm. focus Tukey on the bullpen. I, I know that that may not, you know, be ideal for his career. And I think Tukey is also just someone who needs a change of scenery. I'm not saying the Braves aren't smart enough to figure it out with him, but it's now been three to four years where it just is not connecting. Whatever needs to be there for it to be successful for Tukey and for him to get consistent, it's just not been there for us to trust him. So either right. you take some of it off his plate and turn him into a reliever and, and and simplify, you know, allow for him to simplify it to where he can get through one or two innings successfully and build off of that. Or you just, you know, it, it's to the point to where you have to give chances elsewhere because it's just, it's not Burp. working for Tukey at this point. Burp. Sorry, my dog's barking. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, um, so I see us getting through the first round of the playoffs. Maybe the second round. Or let's see. How many rounds are there this year? There 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 are four from my okay. understanding. You want to get through four. You got the wild card best of three, and then the D the NLDS, NLCS, and World Series uh, should be the same. I haven't seen anything where they're not the same. So honestly, I think the, the biggest threat to the Braves is the Dodgers. Yeah. Would you would you agree? Agreed. The pot now here's the thing. I will say in a heartbeat, the Padres are there as well. I I, I I want to finish that one – I want to finish in that two or three spot. For the, the benefit of that two or three spot, actually, is that we don't have to face the Padres in the NLDS. The Dodgers would have to face them. Okay. Um, if we finish in the third spot, who would be our first-round matchup? That's going to be interchangeable. Every single day. I was talking with some folks over top talking chop about that. Now I know teams that I don't want to face. You know, the team I want to face is the team that we lost last year, and that's the St. Louis Cardinals. I would love to face them, the Giants, or the Phillies. The teams that I don't necessarily want to face um are the um Cincinnati Reds. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you, the Florida Marlins. I think we could survive against the Marlins, but if Alcantara and Sixto Sanchez are the players you have to face in the first two games of a two, um, you know, three-game series. That's a very formidable duo to overcome. And then, of course, with the Reds, you've got Bauer, Gray, and Castillo, plus with a pretty good lineup. Now, we could right. beat, beat those teams, but they're going to be far tougher matchups. I know the Cardinals may have Flaherty, but after that, that's Wainwright. And the other thing about it is, is that our offense is significantly different than it was last year. And Flaherty certainly has not been on his game like he was last year. And and, and the Cardinals may have the weakest offense, um, you know, of anybody right now, at least the most inconsistent. So my team that I would love to face is the Cardinals. Don't let my friends in Western Kentucky hear you say that. <laughs> hey, like I told you, I'm from Martin, Tennessee. All of my, all my friend group, my, my wife's family, they're all Cardinals fans. And I haven't had much to brag on over the past decade because they beat us two or three times in the playoffs. So anytime where I know my team's gotten better and the Cardinals have gotten worse, let's face them all day long. It's I interviewed uh, Neil Bradley uh, a few weeks ago, and he's a he's a Cardinals fan, and uh, it was kind of fun to go back and forth with him about the Braves and the Cardinals. You tell Neil Bradley the next time you talk to him, Sean Coleman said hello. He probably won't remember me, but I had the pleasure of interviewing him on one of my podcasts before John Morant's year. Uh, he's the he's the voice of the Murray State Racers. You let Neil Bradley know that his voice remains one of the best in um, college sports and that I, I, I hope that he enjoyed every single minute of Jaws' rookie year. That vo- His voice, I mean, 
I was upset when I couldn't listen to his broadcast of the national the NCAA tournament games. I was yeah. upset. Yeah. He's one of the best of the business. He is. Uh, he is. Us as racer fans are spoiled with his voice. Well, um, I've I've kind of been spoiled with voices. I mean, I had Larry Munson as a bulldog. I had Skip Carey as a brave, and Neil Bradley as a racer. I mean, now now who was that first person that you mentioned? Uh, Larry Munson, the voice of the, or the former voice of Georgia football. Of who? Georgia. Yeah, oh, I'm, gonna yeah. Hang, I'm gonna have to hang up now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I knew we'd get into this. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. So I guess we'll go ahead and get into this. Uh, why do you punish yourself year in and year out of being a Tennessee Vols fan? Oh, it, it's it's very very simple. <laughs> nothing beats nothing beats waking up on a fall day in the only place that you've been able to call home your whole life. Mm-hmm. Nothing beats being able to wake up on a fall day with the excitement of knowing that the football team that represents where you're from playing football. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why I love it so much. I know we're cursed. I My <laughs> heart has been broken so many times. Whenever I hear the name Gruden, I still cower because of how frustrating it is. And <laughs> and, and I will never, I, I, I at times, I feel I'm a realistic fan, but I'm also loyal to a fault, I'm never going to stop being passionate about the balls. Mm-hmm. I've stopped overthinking things and thinking that, you know, we're going to have a chance to this be a special year. It needs to happen when it needs to happen. But it's just like being, you know, a Georgia Bulldog fan or, or you know, there's one SEC, there's actually two SEC teams I won't mention. Um, you, you can kind of know who they are. But being an Auburn Tiger fan, a Mississippi State fan, an Ole Miss fan, where you're from, from the South, being where football is king and waking up to the excitement of knowing that that day the football team that represents your area is playing, there's not much that beats that. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, when it comes to Tennessee, it's they get so close, and they've got the athletes. I mean, they've always had athletes. Um, right now you've got Harrison Bailey as a backup quarterback, and I, I honestly think he's better than – um, the quarterback. I can't pronounce his last name. I can't remember. Jared Gorantano. Jared Gorantano. Now, granted, Harrison Bailey's from Georgia, and I've seen I've seen him in a few games in high school, so I I can I've seen more of him than I have Garantano. But, and I've only seen Tennessee when they play Georgia, so I've seen Garantano struggle. <laughs> he um, has, yeah. He 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 has struggled. He has. Um. But like, uh, and I'll admit, your broadcasters getting off of the broadcasters uh, side of it, they're some of the best in the business as well. Um, your uh, basketball announcer, his uh, catchphrase when he when they when Tennessee hits a three is money. Yeah, and I've adopted when I play basketball with uh, whoever I mean, my my wife or her co- little cousins. Every time I hit a three, it's like I I just start. I say money, and it's they think it's funny. Yeah, uh, Camp and uh, yeah, um, and Bob Kessling. Those are the yes. names that you're thinking of. And whenever he says money, especially when he was saying it a few, you know, with with uh, Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield and those guys there, oh, it was always awesome to see it. 
Yeah, yeah. Kessling, Kessling getting excited, and then all of a sudden, money. Yeah, it, it, it's all. <laughs> it kind of like I mean, Eric Hasseltine has that call as well. I mean, you can put it on the board, ring it up, and I love those calls. You know, something's good about to happen. If you're a Vols fan, and I joke about Larry Munson, but I, you know, there's a reason why several of his calls are memorized because he was so good at telling the story of football. But one thing I can say between me and you, John, between you being a Bulldogs fan, a Racers fan, myself, you know, being a Tennessee Vols fan and Grizzlies fan and Braves fan, we've been very lucky throughout our lives to have very wonderful storytellers and memorable voices, you know, announce the games for, you know, all in the South to hear. It's it's pretty lucky position to be in as a fan of those respective teams. Oh, yeah. I, I, I guess you don't want to hear the phrase hobnail boot, do you? No, we don't need to. You know, The only thing that I'll say is this, <laughs> is that y'all may have stepped on and broke our nose two decades ago, but Jawan Jennings 15 years later broke y'all's hearts at least for a weekend. So I'll take that and take it to the bank. Was that the pass or the inter- the punt return? Oh, no, 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 no. The Juwan Jennings was the Hail Mary uh, uh, play to end the uh, game in 2016. After, um, yeah, after, uh, um, oh, your former quarterback, not from, not Fields. Eason. Yes, after Jacob Easton hit Riley Ridley um, to, to put y'all up 30 to 27, in which my heart stopped um, <laughs> because it happened the next year against Florida. Um, when Dobbs hit Juwan Jennings, I was at my girlfriend's house at the time. Well, she has actually, yeah, at that time, she was my fiance. We were coming just off of beating Florida. Um, she had surprised me for my birthday that year, um, and we went to the Florida game. You know, she's now my wife. You know, I'm definitely outkicked my coverage. But <laughs> what I'm getting at is, is that I was with her and her dad. Now, they're big Alabama fans, but ah. I'm sitting there with her and her dad watching the Georgia game that happens. And I'm just beside myself. I go into another room watching the TV away from them. And then we get that um, Hail Mary. And I'm pretty sure that I broke a window yelling as loud as I did. I was beside myself in excitement. So, Well, at least you didn't break a chair, a steel chair. This with is about true. a five inch cushion. This is true. I probably banged my head one or two That's times a, too hard on a steel chair, watching the balls over the past decade. <laughs> uh that's an I'm courting Munson again. Uh but uh college sports is it's amazing down here in the south. Um um now are you did you adopt a as a Murray State fan when the Grizzlies got jaw? No, I gotta you... stay I gotta stay true to the Skyhawks. Now I don't keep up with the Skyhawks as as much as I can. I, I go to a game every now and then and things like that, but no, I can't. Not, not, nothing nothing against Jaw. He's a wonderful guy, and we're so lucky to have him you know, with the Grizzlies, but in no way, shape, or form am I ever going to be considered a Murray State fan. Can't, can't, can't be there. Nothing against them, but I just I can't be considered a Murray State fan. I'm sorry, John. Now, what, what's it uh I think it was uh, uh, Quentin yes. Dub. The guy that he dunked. Now, I, I'm not sure of the of the athlete's name. I, I I can't remember the name of the athlete. Um, but yes, I, I there have been people who have connected the point before that I've talked with in a Grizzlies fan that have said, you know, hey, aren't you from UT Martin? And before they reference it, I'm like, I know, no need to go <laughs> any further. UT Martin, UT the the, the detail well, of UT Martin's 
past decade in basketball, besides us almost making it to the tournament, we wound up losing to Austin P a few years back. But was that dunk over John Morant? He just absolutely mm. on the poster. Now, I I will say that I've heard a lot of good things about Quentin. Um, and he's a great player. He will, he's, he's a great player. And just went up yeah. against a, yeah, a they, little bit there's, player. There's a different level when it comes to jaw. Um, now, Shaq Buchanan is on the hustle. He is. And he is also from Murray State. And I may be dreaming. But one day, I hope to see him and John on the same uh, There's a pro hope. basketball team. There is a hope there. Hopefully. I don't really know what the what the prospects are of Shat Buchanan um, uh, th- th- through the Grizzly Bear Blue site um, that I, um, you know, uh, write with um, over at SB Nation. Um, there is a gentleman by the name of Brandon Abraham. I actually, for my Locked on Grizzlies podcast, will be talking with Brandon uh, tomorrow night for a future show, um, or later on tonight, excuse me. But mm-hmm. um, Brandon Abraham covers the hustle uh, very, very well. He offers excellent hustle coverage. Um, you know, I, I from what I've seen of Shad Buchanan and what I've seen Brandon say, um, there is a talent there. There was hope that Shaq may have been able to sign uh, with one of the teams that was going to be in the bubble to eventually get some NBA experience. I don't think it worked out. Uh, but with Shaq Buchanan, I know that there is hope that, you know, maybe the hustle can have him around for another season. And I know that he has turned some heads um, in – uh, the, you know, in the hustle. It's not just that he's, you know, related to Jar that, you know, and well, when I say related that they played on the same team, you know, there's legitimate talent there. And I know that the hustle mm-hmm. have been very impressed with this play. Um, you mentioned the bubble and uh, former racer. There's a, a really predominant former racer in the bubble besides Ja. Uh, Cameron Payne with the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I see. See, you keep on making me want to sit here and compliment rivals of the teams that I cheer for. I can't be doing that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, he definitely. I believe if if I'm correct, it it, it escapes my mind at this moment. I can't remember what year he was drafted, but yes. 2015. That's correct. Uh, yes, he is with Phoenix. Um, he had some success with them, but the Suns in general just had a lot of success. Um, that was one thing that kind of turned the heads of a lot of the NBA um, is that, you know, the Suns, a team that over the years, over the past decade, there really hasn't been a lot to like, just making moves that don't make sense, like taking trading TJ Warren to the 76ers, just to, or shoot to the uh, Pacers just to clear cap space. Um, and, you know, the trade of Melton and Josh Jackson to the Grizzlies, they finally seem to make some headway with the time off and, and everybody from Cameron to um, Devin Booker, they all seem to be, you know, in line. So I think Cameron's in a good situation um, in Phoenix with his play. Now I will say I'm not a Phoenix fan and I never will be because I'm a Grizzlies fan through and through, but I am a Cameron Payne fan. I'm, I'm, the, same, a, I'm the same way with <laughs> Tobias Harris I, I would love and to Grant Williams. Well. Um, now Cameron's a Memphis kid. He's from Memphis. Um, I, I think I heard a rumor that him and John, some other people were playing, uh, pickup ball during, I did uh, hear that rumor as well. Quarantine. I think there's videos or pictures of it. I know that jaw, uh, did perform, um, you know, not necessarily perform, but he was involved in some pickup games. You know, that's a wonderful thing about the NBA. If you've watched the last dance uh, with Michael Jordan, you come to realize that, 
some of the best basketball that's possibly ever been played is basketball that's hard to truly get footage of because it happened in pickup games with all the talent. But yeah, I, I can right. say that there is pictures of, and I believe video proof um, that, that came out of jaw playing. And I believe Cameron uh, Payne was involved in those games. I think uh, Darnell Coart was there as well. Um, he's yeah. a big man. <laughs> um, so you're in Memphis and the AAA affiliate Correct. Cardinals is the Redbirds as well. Um, do you ever? I do try do to follow, follow them. them. I don't necessarily follow the team in terms of like cheering for them like I do the Braves. I keep up with the prospects just because I, I enjoy Major League Baseball prospects. Um, I will say when it comes to the Redbirds, uh, they've had a lot of talent because the Cardinals have always been really good at drafting. But if you want to experience a true minor league joy, that I, I think that the, there's a reason why the Redbirds AutoZone Park has consistently been voted one of the best minor league stadiums and experiences around is because there's a lot of effort that's put into it. That's probably mm-hmm. the best thing about the Redbirds is the experience at their home park. Awesome. Um, so there's a lot of questions about the roster coming up for the Grizzlies. Um, you know, do we keep Josh Jackson? Do we keep Melton? Um, what do you think this roster is going to look like? Huh? Well, the good thing about it is, is that, you know, uh, the questions, unlike for a lot of teams, the questions for the Grizzlies, they don't really start getting asked until you get to like the ninth or 10th man in the rotation. Because, you know, let, let, let's look at it. You know, I, I talked about it on the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast the other day. Jonas is around for another two years. Jaron is around for another two years at least and likely will get an extension at some point. Uh, Justice can be around for another two years. Dylan for three, Jaw for three, and then his extension. Tyus for two. You've got Grayson Allen. There's another couple of uh, years on. You've got Gorgie at one, and you've got Kyle Anderson for two years as well. So that's nine guys. And seven of them, besides Kyle Anderson and Gorgie, are, have been shown in some way, shape, or form, have seen their preference from this coaching staff and front office grow over the past year. So it comes down to Josh Jackson. It mm-hmm. comes down to Melton. And, you know, I think John Concher could also, you know, be mentioned there. Marco Gadurich, I don't, I don't really put too much emphasis on him. I think he's going to play out this year and be gone. Um, I don't think you're going to see Josh Jackson come back. I think that the Grizzlies did wonderful by Josh Jackson and that it did work out for him. A lot of people were calling, you know, were, were wondering why it took so long for him to get to the NBA. There was a plan in place. Both sides saw it through and both sides benefited from it. I think that the Grizzlies have shown that they could be a place where if there's a troubled talent based off things that have happened within or outside their control before, that they could bring them in and do well by them. And I think in Josh Jackson's case, he's shown that in an up-and-down style of NBA today with his slashing ability and in transition, he could be a good part of a bench. You know, I don't know to what level of what team, but I think Josh Jackson gets a bigger payday than the Grizzlies might be able to afford this offseason. And I also think he's going to get opportunity. You know, It was very telling that despite his impact on the bench and making it one of the best benches in the NBA when he was a part of it and a featured part of it, it's telling that when Justice Winslow and Tyus Jones went down, Josh Jackson's role actually did. Anthony Tolliver and Grayson Allen taking it on. So I don't think Josh Jackson's going to be a preference. Um, with the Anthony Melton, I think the Grizzlies want to keep him around. You know, Kleiman hinted at that. So Zach Kleiman, the Grizzlies GM, hinted at that um, on his uh, end-of-the-year press conference. I think they do want to keep him around. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, he also is a skill set that doesn't necessarily mesh uh, with uh, what Taylor Jenkins wants to do. I think he's a good contrast with his defensive playmaking and his ability to do the small things in transition. I know he's an analytical darling, but if somebody else wants to pay that, what wants to pay him for what he is and, you know, hope he can be what many hope he can be, they can go ahead and do that. I think the Grizzlies would love to have him back, but I do think that you could see his situation where somebody else wants to sign him and the Grizzlies work out a sign and trade for future assets. I think you could see that kind of like the DeLone Wright, Tyus Jones situation last year where everybody thought we were going to sign Wright. We wind up trading him to Dallas for two future picks and wind up actually picking up Tyus, which was an astute move. I think you could see a similar outcome for D'Anthony Melton this offseason. Awesome. Uh, I'm a fan of Melton. I love his defense. I mean, he can steal with the best of them. Absolutely. Um, uh, was it – there was one game he was – It was against like Toronto. He was the first Grizzlies player um, in, in franchise history to an other – to, to an under 25 minutes of play had have six or more steals in the game. That was that was impressive. Um, offensively in the bubble, he struggled. But, I mean, hey, you know, a lot of people – struggled in the bubble. It's it's a very unusual situation, so um I could I could side with him on that one. Um I'm really I, I think the Grizzlies are gonna be okay. I, I don't think like you've mentioned before on your locked on Grizzlies podcast. Um and if you're not listening <laughs> to that show we'll Thank you. what he's doing. Um uh um like you've said before Everybody, there's going to be more stronger teams in the West, and if the Grizzlies don't make the playoffs, then it's not the end of the world. And I agree with you, but the competitive part of me still wants the Grizzlies to make the playoffs and show the world, hey, we're better than you think we are, um, like they did this year. Um, and I'm kind of biased, but anything with John Morant can do anything. You're exactly correct, and 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 it's all about perspective, right? You know, me, myself, you know, I, 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 you know, just just like you do podcast, you're doing this podcast, it's a passion of yours. And, and you love talking about other people that, you know, have the same passions as you do. I enjoy doing that with the Grizzlies. And the thing about it is, is that, you know, I'm looking at it uh, from the perspective of someone that covers the Grizzlies and from a perspective of, you know, hey, there are different options that can work out. But I agree with you 110%. I could sit here and write or talk about all day long the many different ways in which if the Grizzlies' ultimate goal is to be as best as they can be two to three years from now, not making the playoffs next year would be the best um, you know, uh, outcome, theoretically. But in reality, it's a different story. Because in reality, the team that's there already has the main core that we're hoping will eventually turn into a title contender. And the only way for them to get there is for right. them to continue exceeding expectations and also for them to continue bringing to fruition what they want to. And you can see it. This team was not satisfied. This team was not happy with the way that the season ended. They were grateful for the opportunity that they had. And as fans, especially, you know, I've said it before, I'm grateful for the way that the bubble ended on a, on a high note with how well we played, you know, towards the end. But this team knows exactly what needs to be done. And it's not only that they know that work has to be done. 
They know the value of that work and they enjoy doing it. So if that's the case, that they're putting in all that work and then the mentality of the team is, well, hey guys, you know, if we don't make the playoffs, you know, hey, we can still be fine. That's not the right mentality for this team to have. The mentality for this team to have is to do the yeah. best that they can, get as far as they can, play for a title. These guys want to be a title contender next year. They should play and do everything that they can to make that happen. Because if they make that happen, if they keep exceeding expectations, no matter what happens, whatever's added to this core, it's going it, it's going to be a good outcome. Because if they keep exceeding expectations, it's likely that they're going to take any talent that they get and, and use it to make them better. Now, um, as a Murray State fan, I saw how good Ja was in college. I saw what he could do. In the, in the Grizzlies media and um, Grizzlies um, side of things, did you guys know he was that good, as good as he is? Are you guys surprised at how good he is, or did y'all – most of you guys – I feel as if – now, now I, I, I will be honest with you. There, you know, you know I, I've been covering the Grizzlies for a little over two years, I and I got to see Jaw – you know, I, I was watching Jaw a few years ago. Did I watch every Murray State game? You know, I didn't, but I watched enough, you know, to know how special of a talent he was. I feel like that his what he court, it's not really surprised that many people. It's not really surprised that many people of him being just an unbelievable finisher, him being a playmaker, his ability to finish to the rim, get to the rim. Um, it's more the mentality, and it's not just smarts. It's just how good he is at dissecting the moment and know what's going on and knowing when he needs to turn it on, dial it back, you you know, do stuff himself or create the play. I think the mental aspect and also the personality, the maturity of his game is there. I think the best trait about John ja Morant is it's not just that he knows what his strengths are. He knows when to feature his strengths. That's a reason why he was one of the best fourth quarter finishers in the in NBA history for a rookie, but also in terms of the NBA this year. So I think it's more of the mental aspect of things that really surprise people and how composed he is, how much of difference he can make, and, and you know just the intelligence that he brings to different situations that are thrown at him. I think that, or at least to me, that's jumped off the page. He's much further in that aspect of things than I expected him to be. But in terms of his actual on-the-court play, if you saw what he did in college, no matter if you want to sit there and use the lesser talent argument because he played in the OVC, it's still the, the type of game that he showed, it was going to be effective. Maybe not to this extent, but a lot of people expected for it to be effective. So I think that his on-the-court play really hasn't surprised many. You know, he's exceeded expectations, but I think that, you know, his personality – how mature he is in terms of handling stuff off the court and just how, you know, intelligence, his level of basketball IQ on the court. I think that's the aspect of him that's turned the most heads this year. Awesome. I like, I knew, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I saw what he did at Murray and I was like, this is, he's going to be, he's going to fit right in with the Grizzlies. Um, now, granted, this is the first year I've ever watched the NBA. Um, I was a Grizzlies fan because of, Jod and Shaq, and as long as they're there, I, I, even if they're not there, I, th I think I could still be a Grizzlies fan because I like the system and I love the way they play, and I, I love the the mentality of the city and the mentality of the, the organization. Now, um, 
I've heard that I would not enjoy how things yeah. used to be right yeah. now. Oh, yeah. But, um, so, one more question about Tennessee, and then we'll head All into right. some rapid-fire questions. Um, so, Tennessee or Alabama and Florida were picked to win the West and the East this year. Do you agree with that? And if you do, where do you think Tennessee will end up or Georgia? I will say this. I think that Tennessee, the thing that I'll say about Tennessee is this, is that I think that they have more certainty in being consistent they have a higher floor this year than they have had in a long time, in my opinion, ever since 2016 and even then. And a big reason why is how talented their offensive line is. You know, this, you know, even if, unfortunately, we don't get to have Cade Mays, um, you know, it seems like we may not be in the SEC, but even if we don't get to have Cade Mays play, I feel like that this Vols team is going to be in a lot of games that people may not think they'll be in, and I think that we're also going to be able to beat the opponents that we should, for instance, starting 2-0 and to begin the season. Um, I think at the end of the day, the Vols are going to finish third in the East. I think they do finish with a winning record. I mean, I believe that we play five um, of the uh, the top ten teams in the, the nation this year between Auburn, Texas A&M, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. Um, I want to finish with a winning record, and I want to beat two of those five teams. That, to me, would make it a successful year. And if that's the case, I feel the Vols will probably finish third in the East. Um, Georgia, I feel that they possibly could uh, finish um, possibly second. I think that this is going to be a down year for them. Now, when I say a down year, that means, like, I don't think they're going to be competing for a national championship. they, I know they have some very, very good young skill players, but without the normal mm-hmm. um, preparation and with a quarterback replacing from that you haven't had in a system for a while, I know it's not Jamie Newman anymore. It's the USC transfer. His name escapes me at the moment. Um, it's JT Daniels, but I don't actually have. I've seen a lot okay. of people saying it. I thought him it, either. It'll be. Uh, I thought it would be Daniels. I'm surprised it wasn't Jamie Newman. I, I'm a fan of Jamie Newman's. I thought that he could excel down there in Georgia, but with with there being so many it's... new faces, I know the lines are still going to be good, and Kirby's going to have that defense going. But unless Georgia just seen as a breakout year from multiple sources on their offense, I don't know if they're going to be competing for a national title. I still will rank it to where, and the reason why Florida, I think, is ranked where they are is because they've got, you know, arguably the best one-two punch at quarterback in the in the conference um, in, in Trask and, uh, and Jones. But I, I do think that, you know, Florida it, it, it has a chance. I think Florida and Georgia will be fighting it out. Whoever wins their game, um, I think, wins the East. But I do think that we're going to start, this will start to be a trend where Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee – uh, will win. Will be you know at the top um, of the East, but I think at the end of the day, it's fifty-fifty Florida, Georgia, in my opinion, to win the East this year. If I was a Florida fan, which I, I can't be, um, I would be mad if they did not use Emory Jones more more than Kyle Trask. Uh, I think he's more it, of a talent. Again, it's one of those theoretical things, and and what I mean by that is, is that yes, I think that in the in terms of the college game. Emory does bring more to the table as a runner and a passer, but Kyle Trask, in my opinion, they made the right choice. Like they should have gone to him sooner over Felipe Franks. 
he just he brings more of a consistency. I don't think he may be that good of a talent going forward. But I do – that team was much smoother, in my opinion, playing. There was a much higher floor and a consistency to reach the ceiling that they needed to reach to be one of the best teams in the country with Trask there, than there was with Franks, in my opinion. No, I, I agree with you there. Um, I completely agree with you on that. that um, he, uh, let's see. What do you think uh, about Alabama? I do. do think um, I think LSU's got to replace too much talent. Um, I think Auburn, yes. um, you know, they, they have their quarterback, but, you know, what about their skill players? I think if Auburn's quarterback takes it, again, my, my knowledge of, of, of college names outside of, uh, of the main ones in Tennessee escapes me from what it used to be. Uh, his name is Bo. Um, yeah, Short, there we go. Uh, if, if he can take the step forward that it seems he has the potential to do, I think Auburn could challenge Alabama, but at the end of the day, again, I just think that Alabama has got too much talent. They've, they've still got very good receiving talent. Um, their running game is going to be deep. Um, they still got talent at quarterback. I know there's a lot of new names. That's the thing about the SEC this year. There's a lot of new names, especially with so many people leaving LSU, but I think that Alabama's depth is going to be there this year. And so and, and, you know, if Dylan Moses is healthy and can lead that defense, um, I, I mean, I just I don't see really anybody you know matching their consistency. Um, I do think that they may do it with an eight and two record. I think that you there's a good chance you're going to see the SEC champion have multiple losses. Um, I do think there's a better chance for that this year than there has been in a while. Uh, but at the end of the day, I still think Alabama's the team to beat in the SEC. I agree. Um, in my opinion, I, I'm trying this, but I think the CC championship will be Alabama Georgia. Yeah, and I, I think you're going to consistently see that. And, and um, um, Alabama's quarterback handing the ball off, it, it, it doesn't get much, you know, easier than that running behind their offensive line or defensive line, excuse me. Um, but you know, in terms of the SEC, right. the, the the interest, the state though, you know, everybody, you know, it always it seems like that despite you know LSU, despite last year. It seemed like that the road to success always happened through Alabama with Auburn and Alabama and and the Iron Bowl maybe even being a bigger game than the SEC championship as far as who went to the national title. But I'll tell you this, that may still be the most important game this year, but the most entertaining aspect of the SEC this season is going to be in Mississippi with Mike Leach at Mississippi State and Lane Kiffin at all. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that, that is one aspect of the SEC it's gotten better. The, the for lack of it, Tennessee's in this. The second tier teams, it's gotten a lot more interest to them, kind of getting right back, kind of getting right and back on course from what they used to be, or them having names as their coaches. That's going to be a fun matchup this year. Now, have you heard the whole issue between Auburn? And now, this Kentucky? I've not heard. Um, Joey Gatewood transferred okay. from Auburn to Kentucky. The quarterback, and he's a dual threat quarterback. He played at a really high talented school in Florida and he was um, really good. Um, so he came, he, he transferred to Kentucky and Auburn is willing to grant his transfer waiver pending or if he doesn't play against them uh, against Auburn the first week of the season. <laughs> 
I, I, I've not heard yeah. that. It, just in general, John, to be honest with you, I, I, another aspect of college sports that makes it hard to just be as all in and passionate as you possibly can be, you know, in terms of, you know, getting to be a national power and, and maintaining the national power like Tennessee, hopefully getting back on the level of an Alabama or things like that. It's so hard though, to truly put all your faith in that because of situations such as that, where the teams and, 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 and the NCAA double itself just have so much control over the outcome of these players. And out of nowhere, something absolutely significant can occur on a dime. And it, you see it all the time, and there's no consistency to it. Right. That type of stuff right there just, you know, it, it waters down college sports. And so, you know, like there being so much openness and yet so much uncertain about the transfer rules, it's hard to feel that that is, is a valuable part of the game as it should be. There's just a lot of uncertainty about college sports. So the story, like you just told, just, you know, highlights that. And to me, that's the, that's the big thing about it. It's just, it's just another situation where they're just pettiness and unnecessary occurrences going on instead of something simple to get it resolved so folks can move on. What what irritates me is issues like Luke Ford from Georgia. He wanted the transfer to be closer to his yeah. dying grandfather. So his grandfather being played yeah. one more time in Illinois. Okay. He was not granted yes. eligibility. But players like Tate Martell and Justin Fields and players like that are granted immediate eligibility and i'm not dissing tate mortel or justin fields i'm not dissing them they wanted to better themselves and i'm okay with that but why they get preferential treatment over a kid who just wants his grandfather to see him play one more time my response to that is exactly what we're doing here and there's nothing wrong with this this is this is fun this is you know this is what you should be doing but it's all about money and it's all about the fact that the NCAA, mm-hmm. more people are going to be talking about Tate Martell and Justice Fields, where they're going and, and why they're going, because they're, they're, they were connected to Ohio State. More people are going to talk about that than they are about where Cade Mays is going or, or, or the Ford kid, where he's going. So that's what it is. It's all about money, mm-hmm. and that's all the reason why they do it. That's why there's no consistency. The Cade Mays situation, okay, if he's not going to play, that's fine. We should have known about this a month or two ago instead of it coming to fruition two weeks before the start of the season occurs. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. But I agree with you. It, it's a frustra- it, It's much more frustrating than it should be, or used to be. I guess I shouldn't mention my pinky finger either, should I, right now? <laughs> I'm just thinking, John. I'm going to give you a hard time. So... I guess we'll wrap it up with a rapid some a uh, couple of rapid fire questions. Um, number one, best in person sports moment and best watch or TV sports moment. Oh, let's see here. Oh, uh, the, the the best in person sports moment was the Grizzlies. Um, I, I've got a tie. It was the Grizzlies beating the Clippers, um, in the uh, first round of the the it was the 2012-2013 season. Uh, when they beat the, the Clippers mm-hmm. um, in the game where Chris Paul got ejected and you know all that, that was probably my favorite in-person sports moment, playoff atmosphere, the peak of grit and grind. It was it was awesome, awesome to see. 
Uh, the other one was when uh, me and my fiance, I, 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 the game I'd always wanted to go to was Tennessee, Florida, and I'd never been there. And she surprised me on my birthday in 2016 with those tickets. We went at the end of September, right around this time of year, um, of four years ago. It didn't start out well, down 21 to three against a no name at, at halftime. And then we come roaring back, John, and outscore them. You know, I believe it was a 30, um, uh, 35 to seven in the second half. And just seeing how special our talent was when everybody was playing well, that probably, um, are, those are the two best in person moments um, that I've seen. Um, on TV, um, it was Peerless Price's long touchdown catch um, in um, the national championship game uh, when Tennessee beat Florida State. That ranked slightly above uh, Marsh Keith Grissom uh, catching uh, the uh, final out of the 95 World Series. But, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the <laughs> best moment probably was Peerless Price's long touchdown. So that that's probably my best sports moment I've seen. Unfortunately, as a Braves fan, I've never – I wasn't yeah. following the Braves in 95 because I was only yeah. five years old. Well, hey, that, that way to make <laughs> uh-huh. me feel old, John. I'm just kidding. Wait, no, you're only no, no, no. I wish I was. I, I'm in my mid-30s. I just turned 35. But if anybody's asking, we'll say it's 25. <laughs> um, If I was going to go eat in Memphis, where would be the best if place to eat? If you were going to go eat in Memphis, where would be the best place to eat? Whew. Now, the thing about Memphis is this, is that best places to eat, that question has depth to it. Now, if you're wanting, if you're wanting a hamburger, <laughs> I'm going to tell you to go to Elbow, and that's last burger on earth. It's been voted the best burger in the world before, and it's because it's so good. And their best burger, in my opinion, is the one who's named after the Grizzlies play-by-play announcer, Eric Castletime. Whew, it's so good. But, ah. yeah, if you're wanting a burger, I probably would go <laughs> to um, uh, um, Elbow, if you're wanting pizza, Broadway pizza's good. Memphis Pizza Cafe, though, it hits the spot. But uh, 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 maybe not as well of a known one or one that's talked about is Garibaldi's Pizza, especially the mm-hmm. one. They have a Mississippi or, excuse me, a Memphis room in there where they still promo or promote 25 years later Tennessee beating Peyton Manning in the balls in Memphis. But their pizza, especially their buffet, is phenomenal. So I would say for pizza, it's Garibaldi's. For a burger, it's Last Burger on Earth. And then barbecue, for me, it's always been one and only. You know, there's there's a couple of, you know, hole-in-the-wall uh, you know, um, hole places that you might want to go. But, you know, you've heard about Ron. You've heard about, um, you know, you've heard about Central. To me, the best barbecue place is one and only. Nice. Um. Now, I actually didn't know this until today's episode with you and um, yeah. Jeff Garcia. Um, you're I a am. big comic book fan. Marvels or uh, Marvel. DC? Okay. Who's your favorite Marvel, Marvel character? Ah, I'm a Daredevil person as, well, kind of figures. Yeah. <laughs> um. Go ahead. Have you seen? No, you go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Um, me and my wife. I'm kind of sad that those aren't watch uh, on Netflix anymore. But oh well, I'll get over it. The Punisher, um, Daredevil, uh, Iron Fist, and all those. I, I I enjoy those. Um, 
Now you you're a Tennessee you're a Tennessee fan. Best place to eat in Knoxville. Oh, Calhoun's. Calhoun's is definitely there, and the reason I'll say that I haven't had I haven't ate that many places in Knoxville myself. Typically, when I go to games, we tailgate and and we basically um, you know we'll eat food that we bring. But in terms of where I have a you know Calhoun's has a good reputation for a reason. It's a good place to eat. Awesome. Me and my me and my wife go, love to go up to Pigeon Forge, and we go right through Knoxville. So if you go if you go to Pigeon Forge Gatlinburg, and, you need to check out. I believe it's Sanderson Farms. It's the Applewood Farms there. They have a restaurant there, John. Woo! They make everything. Everything is based off apples, but their apple fritters. Oh, mm. it'll make you want to say, "I'm serious." You will be looking. <laughs> at apps on your phone of available houses in the area if you have apple fritters at that <laughs> place. I believe it's in Gatlinburg. But if next time you and your wife go up there, you need to check it out. We uh, tried the local goat um, this time. And yeah. woo, there's some awesome. good places to eat up there. Um, final question that I ask everybody. Um, are you am, a I a, am I a beer person myself? I, yep. it, yes. I'll, you know, ha- have, a, have a little bit on occasion. I, I'm not the big, I'm not as big as I used to be. Um, what is your favorite style or favorite beer? So <laughs> it, typically if, if, if I'm going to be with friends and I'm, I'm going to have a few, I'll go with Michelob, but I'll tell you a couple that I, that I like uh, on draft. One is Newcastle Light. Like there, there was a there was a place here in Memphis called Side Street Cafe, and they would have two fifty mm-hmm. um, you know um, drink nights on occasion. And and Newcastle Light is probably my favorite foreign beer that I've had. It's it's an easy to drink type um, taste to it, and I just enjoyed it. Um, the other one is um, um, Grindhouse. A Ghost River Grindhouse, it, it's made, um, you know, I, I love it on draft. I mean, a lot of people have it on tap around the West Tennessee area, but Ghost River Grindhouse is another one that I really like to drink on draft. You said Grindhouse, and it made me right, think yep, it was yep. that's spirit. That's the reason why it's named that. It, it is definitely Ghost River Grindhouse. That's oh. why I love it. Um, I'm a beer snob. Uh, I, I love a sour or a IPA when it's hot or when it's cold, I want a darker, sweeter, like a, a stout or a um, porter. So I'm a dork. I think that actually that's pretty admirable because I know that especially in, in Braves Twitter, they, I, I know that there are a lot of Braves podcasts out there and a lot of, like we said, outlets that, you know, from different personalities. But I will tell you this, if there was ever a forum in which several of the Braves, you know, me, um, Twitter personalities, podcast personalities, you know, what, whatever it may be. I think if you ever set them down and you just had their different perspectives on, you know, what they like to drink, you'll be in for some pretty amazing content because there's a lot of knowledge out there among <laughs> that group. Oh yeah. Um, one more question. I forgot to ask this one. Um, I know you write for Talking Chop, but do you listen to any other? I do. I, I I on occasion listen to Nakahoma Nation. Um, I've listened to this one before. Um, I do, um, you know, also, I, obviously, I listen to the Talking Chop podcast, um, and I also I love uh, Mansplain um, with uh, with um, Ashlyn and Marla and Emily. They're awesome. And um, I, I have not checked out Chatting Average yet, but I also love the Platinum Sombrero. So I, I don't, I'll be honest, do I listen to them every single week? I wish I could, but I don't. But I do catch them on occasion. 
And that's what I'm saying. There is a lot of talent out there when it comes to all the Braves podcasts. Oh, yeah. I know people joke about how many that are out there, but they, it's legitimate. There are legitimately several awesome podcasts out there from all different parts of Braves fandom. Yeah, I enjoy you mentioned all of those. I listen to every one of those, and I love – it's different – you get different opinions from different people. And I, I started listening to Naga Home Nation to start with, and then it just – it was like a downhill explosion of, oh, this one's cool, this one's cool, this one's cool. Uh, so, well, Sean, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and um, hopefully we can have another conversation when the playoffs are over and the Grizzlies are back hey. playing because – I, and, awesome. and here's the thing. I will try to reach out to you at some point, John, to have you on with the, with the Locked On Grizzlies. I'd, I'd, I'd certainly love uh, to get your perspective on things, especially with Jaw. But it, it's a pleasure and an honor. And I want to tell you this also. Um, a big part of, you know, enjoying doing this, is, as I'm sure you know, is when you get to interact with those who, who you know truly enjoy the content that you put out there and that support that you get. Your level of support for, for me and others on, on when we do our podcast, I can't tell you how much appreciate how appreciative at least I am of that. Thank you for all your support um, uh, in, in the recent past. We we really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate y'all's content and keeping me up to date down here in Georgia because there's not many Murray State, Memphis, Grizzlies fans down yeah, here. Yeah, I know y'all, y'all got those so. Hawks fans. Yeah, that's part of the reason I never was an NBA fan because I just can't get into the Hawks. Now, I'm sorry, and, and that's understandable. It's understandable. Hey, I will tell you this though: if you get the chance to though to 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 um, enjoy the Hawks like you do the Grizzlies, there's a lot of fun on that Hawks team right now, especially with Trey Young. Uh, they're becoming team too. But hey, just you, you keep cheering for the Grizzlies. Keep representing Memphis down there in Georgia. Now, what did you think of the the matchup between Jaw and Oh, it was awesome. Uh, two different styles of players. Uh, both are creators. I think that Jaw, um, you know, I think Jaw is more of a – I think Jaw has the higher ceiling. He has a bit more defensive potential. And I think that his value, the added value of his decision-making is going to allow for the Grizzlies to move faster as an organization to get closer to contention. I think that Trey is a wonderful shooter. I think that he is a wonderful talent, and I think that he is going to be an all-star level talent for several years to come. I just don't know if Trey is going to be able to add the value in other areas, at least as of yet, to really make a difference that the Hawks want him to. You know, we look at, you know, players such as, you know, Damian Lillard and, you know, a Chris Paul and a Russell Westbrook. I, I don't necessarily think Jaw or um, Trey will ever be on the level of those players, but I think that Jaw has mm-hmm. more in him to elevate the talent around him to truly be, you know, a, a, a perennial playoff contender and hopefully one day a title contender. I think his outlook to play a significant role in that way is is more likely than Trey at this point. Well, this has been awesome, Sean. I like I said, I've really enjoyed it, and um, looking forward to talking to you again hey. down the road. Um, work. Where can people find you on Twitter, Facebook, social media? Find your yes, podcast. sir. Yep, and, and I thank you for asking. So I, I'm at Stats SAC um, on Twitter. That's S T A T S um, S A C. Um, well, S T A T S S A. Yep, there we go. You can find the show at Locked On Group. Um, you can find <laughs> the podcast wherever podcasts are available, like John's podcast. Um, you know, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, 
the uh, uh, podcast app on your iPhone, wherever that may be. It's located, you know, all there. And, um, you know, John, you know, the, the last thing that I'll leave you with is this, is that all I need for you to do is just send me your email address or even your address, and, I, and I'll send you some Skyhawk memorabilia so you can put it up in your home. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I'll support <laughs> the teams, you know. I'll support everyone. I'll support the OVC because <laughs> the OVC, if anybody that supports the OVC makes – um, the yeah, racers look that, 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 that's fair enough but not john i it, it was it's truly been an honor it's been a privilege talking with you and can't thank you enough for the opportunity hope we can do it again i appreciate it hey john. same to you and day. your family y'all stay safe and uh, we'll talk to you soon I, I, right, I, where are they going <laughs> um oh, oh, okay well maybe in the future go vols <laughs> we'll see you john bye see you john